I really did try to kill myself right before I faked it. Hello and welcome to Brett Easton Hell Yes, the podcast that takes a deep dive into the works of Brett Easton Ellis and the film adaptations thereof. My guest this week, uh, the host of the In the Mix podcast, David Brom. Hello, David. Hello, Katie. How you doing? Good. How are you? I'm doing fine. It's a beautiful day out. <laughs> Isn't it? Uh, and we are talking about the 2002 film, The Rules of Attraction. Um, and you you picked this because you like this movie, right? That's correct. Yes, I'm a very big fan of this movie. I have been okay. wanting to find someone to talk about this movie <laughs> for about, well, I don't know, 13 years. So, <laughs> so happy to finally get all these things off my chest. <laughs> Outstanding. Um, so before we start talking about the movie, um, I'm curious, what do you have any background with Brett Easton Ellis's other work um, or him as a person? Yeah. So if I'm not mistaken, I believe Gruzel Attraction is actually the first, my first experience with Brett Easton Ellis. I saw the movie, I'm pretty sure when I was probably 13 or 14, it was on HBO and Cinemax, like, you know, all the time for like a while. And I was, you know, just like, wow, this movie's crazy. This is exactly what college is going to be like. I can't wait. <laughs> but then also as I, grew, as I grew older, I was like, oh, wow, this sucks. I, I can't wait because I don't want to wait. <laughs> but um, from there, when I find, I think I watched it, I was, I, I watched it periodically, probably once a year at least. And I think when I was about 16, 17, I remember reading, oh, it's based on a book by this author. I'm going to read his first book. So I read Less Than Zero, and I was like, oh, my God, this is this is what I feel like all the time, disconnected from reality and society. And, you know, I went from there. I read Rules of Attraction. I've read The Informers. Um, I've skipped over American Psycho and Glamorama. Uh, one day I'll probably get to them. And then I also uh, really love Imperial Bedrooms. And um, I think that's really it for – Red East and stuff. And of course I've seen American Psycho, but yeah, that's, that's pretty much my whole history with him. Nice. All right. So uh, overall, have you, have you enjoyed his books that you've read? Oh yeah. I mean, Lesson Zero was a big inspiration to, to, at the time to me uh, in terms of like the way I write, I really wasn't comfortable writing first person and then, you know, reading you know, his works, which were at, again, at the time I thought were brilliant pieces of, first-person literature, I was like, this is great. I don't have to give a, can I curse on here? Yeah, please okay. do. I don't have to give a shit about <laughs> Catcher in the Rye anymore. This is my Catcher in the Rye. And like, <laughs> this is just, this makes so much sense to me. Um, so yeah, I, I pretty much, I think I've liked every book that I've read by him. Uh, Informer is probably the least amount, but I still found a lot to enjoy about it. Yeah. Cool. Um, so, uh, do you think that this movie, how do you feel like this movie captures the book? Did you feel like it, do you feel like this is a good adaptation? Well, I guess this is where my opinion would be a bit, uh, what's the word, fractured? Because, you know, I saw the movie first when I was, yeah. I mean, frankly, probably too young to watch it. And then, <laughs> definitely. Yeah. Uh, it was great. My parents didn't care about anything I did. So, reading the book much later. I mean, I loved the book. I still love the book. Um, 
I think in terms of like thematically and maybe as the way I saw, I mean, again, I saw the movie first, so I could say in my mind, it's basically how I, I see the book and I see, you know, the characters in the movie now. It's very hard for me to separate them. But I think, yeah, on a thematic level, I think he, I, or I think uh, Roger Avery, the director, really captured what the book's about and, you know, what Brett Easton Ellis was going for. Um, so uh, Brett, Brett feels the same way. I don't know if you knew that, yeah, but this uh, is I his, <laughs> he likes this movie a lot. <laughs> which is not surprising, especially considering it's a completely mixed bag of, you know, critical reviews and everyone prefers American Psycho more. Yeah, of course, mm-hmm. Brett Easton Ellis likes a thing that is the most controversial of all things. So no surprise. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, it's so funny that when you watched this as a 13-year-old, it was like aspirational for you. Man, kids are kid. dumb. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I would do the same thing when I was a kid, though. I would definitely be like, oh, yeah, someday <laughs> about just like horrible, horrible situations. Yeah. And it's funny because I at the time, I actually have, I have the movie on mute right now across from me. Um, mm-hmm. At the time, I just, you know, I, I was about to go into high school and I'm thinking, okay, college is going to be just like this. Like, it's going to be like (laughs) all these bad people who want to do drugs with me and I'm going to be sad all the time. It's going to be great. (laughs) And then, you know, as I got to the the age point of going to college and getting there, I was like, oh my God, this sucks. Everyone's like really sad all the time. All we do is drink. And like, it's like a really bad Brady Snell's fan fiction. I don't know what happened. (laughs) So were you you were like picturing yourself as like the, as like Sean Bateman of being like I'm a malcontent but like it's cool. You know, I or- guess I don't want to say like yes, but I guess maybe in a way I thought yeah. yeah, I can be like this cool disaffected guy who like just wants to rock and roll and you know <laughs> pretend to find meaning in his life when he really doesn't actually care about that and I don't think I did. I think I became a much better, more (laughs) adjusted person. But I don't know. I I always appreciated these characters just because, you know, there was something, you know, especially as I grew older from seeing the movie, something I appreciate about them. There was a a certain sense of uh, genuinity with them that I, you know, I found in other people, good and bad. So I don't know. These, you know, his, his works have always really spoken to me. And, you know, it all started with this movie. So. That's why I'm very, very happy to talk about it. Cool. Makes sense. Okay. So the movie opens at a party. Um, it's the same way that the book opens, kind of. Yeah. Um, it's uh, like a much more uh, kind of understandable <laughs> version of how the book opens. Um, but it opens with the, with uh, voiceover of the same narration that the book opens yeah. with, which is, um, uh, God damn it. I want to call her Allison Poole. That's not her name. <laughs> Uh, Shannon uh, Fossiman. Yeah, the but the who's the, what the what's the character's name? Allison Poole is a different character. Oh, her main the main character's name is Lauren. Yeah, Lauren Hind. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So it opens with Lauren Hind giving this kind of uh, sort of like stream of consciousness type yeah. monologue about uh being raped at a party, um and and we see it. And it's, I think that it really, this opening like really sets the tone for the movie, right. um, it, which um, uh, I'm sorry, because I know you like this movie is a tone that I do not enjoy, <laughs> but, um, but it does, it does like set you up for what to expect. 
Yeah, it's it's funny. I I just watched the movie again for like the first time in probably you know probably a year or a year and a half, and I almost forgot about how it started. Even and I had my girlfriend watching with me, and I just I looked over when this happened. I was like, oh god, I forgot this movie starts like this, and she right. looked obviously and completely understandably uncomfortable. And you know, it's it's kind of what he. I mean, a lot of his books have that. I guess you call it edgy quality, edgy quality, qualityness to it, and yeah. especially paired with you know Roger Avery, the director or the co-writer of you know Pulp Fiction and mm-hmm. a very edgy and violent movie called Killing Zoe. He's it, it it makes sense I guess for what they're trying to say, but I would definitely agree with you. It's it's a lot for the first literal three minutes of a movie to <laughs> walk in like that, but. Yeah, no, I won't argue with that. With that, <laughs> um, but yeah, it's like uh, it—it's like the same—the same kind of thing is covered in the opening of the book. But I think because you're not seeing it and you're like hearing it secondhand, like you're hearing somebody telling you that Lauren told them this, um, it like really <laughs> softens the blow a lot. But yeah, when the movie just flat out opens on a sexual assault, that is sort of played in a comical way yeah it's definitely supposed to be like funny it's it's not yeah but it's supposed it's, to be yeah it's which there is not really something you see that much in film no <laughs> yeah no, I agree. Um, yeah it's pretty it's pretty uncomfortable uh i will say it's it was less uncomfortable it's less uncomfortable when you rewatch when you watch it having already read the book and kind yeah. of like understanding what it's about. But I I watched the movie before I read the book or before I knew anything about Brady Sinellis, and I was just kind of <laughs> expecting like a, you know like a college movie. Yeah, and I was like a party movie. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck is happening? I know it's uh, no, I, I completely agree with you. I mean, sure, when I was younger, I was like, whoa, this is hilarious, or like, whoa, this is like not cool, but um just enjoying the watch because it's so, you know, edgy and dark, but mm-hmm. now it's, it definitely doesn't, especially what is this movie? 18 years old now. Yeah. Just about. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't, I don't, I don't sit right with it. And I actually, when I put it on today to just have it on, I just fast forwarded through the first five minutes. I didn't <laughs> want to see it again. Yeah. That makes sense. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so this, it, it ends on a, freeze frame of the guy who's on top of her vomiting yeah and and then the vomit goes back into his mouth and everything rewinds backwards and we go back into the party um which uh i don't know how do you feel about there's a lot of rewinding particularly in in the opening there's a lot of backwards movement which is very distinctive stylistically um how do you feel about that do you like that yeah i I mean the more i watch the movie i i feel like it's I'm always trying to figure out like what, you know, do these things mean something in, you know, the context of you know, what the movie's about or what a book's about. And you see a lot of it throughout the movie. There's there's scenes when characters themselves are just, you know, they're they're walking backwards. It's not the movie rewinding them, but they're the ones mm-hmm. that are physically doing it. And I have to wonder, you know, does this tie into some kind of like like the whole thing of like a cycle? Is this about all these characters just kind of trapped in, you know, a prototype version of true detective speech of time is a flat circle. <laughs> like, yeah. And I like, yeah. I, think, I think these things like, uh, you know, it's like, it's like 
they age with time and I guess you get better or maybe not better. You get different perspectives to it. So I'm a big fan of, you know, dumb artsy bullshit like that. And <laughs> I think it's like, I think it's handled pretty well, especially for, you know, a movie that's essentially like a, a satire of like, you know, college sex comedies. Um, it's interesting. I'll, 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 I'll end that thought on that. It's interesting. <laughs> yeah. It's really interesting. Um, yeah. Since you bring up the like <laughs> true detective times, the flat circle thing, that was something that I really noticed on this rewatch um, was how, how much I felt like it was, it kept kind of going to this idea of like, well, there's no such thing as free will or like yeah. your, de your destiny is already decided for you, which I, if it's present, in the book, I don't think it's like the central idea of the book, no. the way it seems to be of the movie. I feel like the book is kind of, is more about like, you know, everybody experiencing their own reality because perceptions are different. Yeah. Like, um, like, you know, the, the big example of that is, um, that Paul thinks Sean is like his boyfriend and Sean oh, seems to like not know who Paul is. Yeah. Um, but then in the, in the movie that's like toned way down to a kind of like normal level of like young romance misunderstanding. No, I was going to say, yeah. That's another thing I picked up in the movie was the whole idea of, you know, these characters and the extent of their delusions and what does it mean for their relationships with each other? Because, I thought a really like speaking of Paul and, and Sean, a really brilliant way that Roger Avery at least tries to, you know, show that ambiguity ambiguity I'm not gonna say it correctly, you know what I mean? <laughs> that that word with um the two characters in the movie is when he does like the split screen with them in that one scene when he's on the bed and he's, you know, uh, handling his business under the pillow and then the other scene is him, you know, basically about to start uh, having some very nice uh, sexual relations with them on the bed. And I just realized like, this is not, it's not really supposed to be like how Paul sees it, especially if you read the book, I guess it's more like these two things could be happening. And I guess as the audience, yeah, maybe you get to decide maybe, maybe none of them are happening. It's, <laughs> I don't know. I don't want to give this movie or Brady Snell's too much credit, but I just thought it was very, bit more thought-provoking than originally than i originally thought so the fact that they constantly play these these kind of stories with each other and you know even in the movie sean almost never gives a shit about paul never mentions him when he's narrating or even brings him up um but they always they never like say it out loud they never say out loud that you know none of these things that paul thinks happen happened much like the book and, you know, we'll get into the ending later, I'm sure. But I, th I think there's a lot of things that kind of lean into just three people who are lost in, you know, delusions that maybe don't even shape up to be what, you know, they're experiencing. So, um, yes, is yeah. the answer. <laughs> yeah. yeah. With the split screen thing, I kind of wish um, I kind of wish it had been more ambiguous what was happening because while I was watching the split, the split screens happen of, of Paul like, jerking off under a pillow on one side <laughs> and like Paul and Sean, Paul and Sean making out on the other side. Yeah. I was like, Oh, this is cool. I forgot that this is how the movie handled these like diverging narratives. If you just see both of them, but then like, but then like the way that the screen kind of wipes, like the Paul jerking off side uh -oh. <laughs> takes over the, yeah over the screen so it really it seems like it's visually telling you that like 
that's what really happened. And he was just imagining yeah. hooking up with Sean. Um, but yeah, with just like a little tweak, it could have been a lot more, a uh, lot more ambiguous. Yeah. Um, and I wonder if maybe maybe there was even a version where it, they did do it that way. Maybe there was a version where it was more ambiguous and it. Well, I mean, I apparently, know, it well. apparently there's like a hundred hours of four different movies that they've recorded with this stuff. So <laughs> it wouldn't surprise me at all. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, Victor has his own side movie that was yeah. never released. Right. I wonder if there's any way to watch that. I've. I think it's called Glitterati. Glitterati. He, well, he's supposed to do Glitterati was like a interquel between Rules of Attraction and Glamorama. Right. And then eventually, I guess they just realize, oh wow, we actually legally can't release this because th this isn't ethical to anything that's involved <laughs> in making a mainstream movie or something. So uh -huh. they just it just never happened, and I guess. I don't know. I, I've looked into it to see if there's like, I remember like looking like when I was like 19, like, oh, there's got to be a torrent of this somewhere. And there's none. I, I can't find it. I'm wow. sure it's just lost in Roger Avery's house or something. <laughs> Tragic. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I really do like the, I mean, it happens a little later, but I don't mind jumping ahead. I really do like the um, Victor's, uh, like Victor abroad, that little portion of the movie with the really like rapid fire narration of just like, I'm going, I went here and I made out with this girl and I did this and I did this. <laughs> I think that that really like captures who Victor is as a character really well. Yeah. And I, it's like, pretty hypnotic. Yeah. It's, I mean, the fact that it just like moves at, you know, breakneck, break, breakneck pace, sorry. And it's just like, I love that scene. It's it's and it's like a scene you like you'd watch like you can watch on YouTube and you just be amazed by how it looks and like everything that's happening. And I'm sure a lot of people, you know, you're watching, you're wondering, is this real? Like, did they just give this dude like a hundred grand and say, run around Europe and I don't know, we'll see what happens. And um, I love that that ending quote where he's just like sitting in the taxi cab and he has that terrifying white mask on and what is he says something like uh, i'm a former ghost to myself and i don't know who i am something like that uh, uh, yeah. i forget was that in the book all that dialogue i think it was right uh i feel like yeah i feel like it all was his definitely his chapter in the book is like really in that style yeah um, but I can't remember if it's verbatim. I know that there's at least some stuff in the book that didn't seem to make it in the movie. Well, it's hard to say for sure because not all of it is that intelligible. <laughs> but the big thing I remember, the big thing I remember in the book that really jumped out at me that didn't seem to be in the movie was he's like, oh, I went, I went and dropped acid with this girl, and then um, I, I was, I had to crash with this guy, and he wanted me to jerk him off, and I didn't want to do it, but I didn't have anywhere to go, so I jerked him off, and then I did acid with this other girl, um, and that, the part where he jerks the guy off to have somewhere to sleep did not seem to make it into the movie. So, yeah, no, I don't think it did. I, I swear, like I saw, I remember like. Re seeing that scene where he does that with a guy in the movie. So, oh, yeah. but I, I, I must be just combining the book and the movie together, but I could have sworn there's a scene where it's like a weird, like night vision look. And he's like sleeping next to a guy. And then it shows him like jerking him off. And then he gets up all like weirded out and goes to sleep on the couch or something. I yeah. don't know. 
I maybe I, I'm probably making it up, but I just I feel like I remember this happening. Huh. Well, this is exactly what the rules of attraction is about. Just this diverging narratives. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe there's a like deleted scene or something on the DVD. I don't know. Maybe. We'll have to find out. Well, I'm I'm gonna have to hunt this down if there's footage of of Victor doing gay stuff, I'm going to find it. <laughs> um, so, um, so our main characters, as in the book, are Sean, who's played by James Vanderbeek, and yes. Paul, who's played by a beautiful young Ian Somerhalder. Oh, oh, my, stay my beating heart, that beautiful man. <laughs> right? He's gorgeous. He really is. It, it's incredible. Those eyes. Uh, oh my god. I, yeah, yeah, and his cheeks are just like so flushed all the time. <laughs> he always looks like he just went for a run on like a a frosty winter morning. <laughs> um, and then uh, Lauren Hind, who is played by you know her name. I don't. Sh- Shannon Sossaman, I think is how you pronounce it. Sounds right. Was she ever in anything again? So the, I don't the, her. the big things I remember her from were A Knight's Tale. Where she played mm. the love interest. Good for then, her. Yeah, no, great movie. And then she did this movie. And then she really, I mean, she did some stuff here and there, but nothing ever really like put her on top. I kind of feel like she was almost like um, the first version of what Kristen Stewart like started out as acting, where mm. she just, she's yeah. like this cool, like indie looking girl who wants to do like these movies, but you know, the, the idea is like, oh, they can't act, which I don't particularly agree with. I agree. I think Kristen Stewart's a fine actress, but yeah. you know, just very kind of like almost like background material. But she's right in the front, and you know, for 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 what it is, I, I think she she fits the character very well. Um, playing this kind of you know love stricken character who doesn't really seem to understand like maybe all these things that you love or people who love you or you know not um i think that kind of aloofness uh, really helps you know sell it so i think she does a fine job yeah i think she was a really good fit for the role there there are some scenes where i feel like she's maybe not like a super great actor um but like i definitely think she was she was good casting yeah Uh, and I, i like her um and uh and I do think she really captures like a cool, like cool but miserable like alternative college thing. <laughs> yeah, it's like Just exactly like, what I picture. <laughs> yeah, no, I definitely agree. I mean, this is like, yeah, she's like, she looks like a stereotype of someone you'd find going to like improv club, or not improv club, but drama club, or <laughs> you know, someone who is a drama major, really. <laughs> At least stereotypically, I don't think most of them. I wouldn't say most people like that dress like that, at least anymore. No, probably not. <laughs> and I think her, you know, I think her alternative girl haircut holds up impressively well. Yeah. For, for a cool haircut from 2002, like, you know, that wouldn't <laughs> be that embarrassing to have that today. <laughs> yeah. And she seems to always have that haircut in like every movie I've ever seen her in. She like <laughs> has never grown her hair out, never cut it shorter. And I guess she just has like a, a stipulation or contract that says, I'm not growing my hair. So, so she has that spiky cool girl like semi mullet in a knight's tail too i'm almost positive she does like i feel like i only know her as like looking like that <laughs> that's pretty cool <laughs> no good for her it's it's awesome yeah. yeah god bless um so uh the i guess the 
kind of driving force of the movie um, and uh, of the book, but in they sort of handle it in different ways um, is just these, these three people being in a not, not love triangle because it doesn't close, but like a love line <laughs> of, um, <laughs> of um, Sean has a crush on Lauren and Paul has a crush on Sean. Yeah. Um, and none of them reciprocate their feelings for each other. Um, and Sean develops a crush on Lauren because he thinks that she's dropping notes in his box, but it's not really her. Nope. Which in the book, you I feel like you really understand how that misunderstanding happens. In the movie, it really seemed to me like he was just like, hmm, I got this note in my box. Also, I randomly ran into a pretty girl. They're probably connected. Um, but I think you've seen this movie more than I have. So do, do you feel that way? Well, I mean, the the first, like the after the credits and everything, the, the first scene is Sean walking into his mailroom, opens the mailbox, and then, you know, he pulls out the letter. And um, what is it? I think it's after the the party where the big fire, the Burning Man's on there. Uh um what is it he he goes to class for the first time ever and she goes because she always goes and just as she's leaving he happens to (laughs) walk into her as they're both just like and again the the split screen comes into play which i think really works really well once they meet and it just kind of like merges into one scene um i had a point with this what was it does the does the movie actually make sense with how they meet and how does Sean actually think this woman is the one sending him letters? Um, wow. I've watched this movie probably 30 times. I do not know if I've ever thought about this. I think I just accepted it. <laughs> okay. I, it, it might be that she's kind of staring at him with these like lovey-dovey eyes when they're talking in the hallway, which yeah. I think... I think the reason for that is mostly that she like took a hit off the teacher's joint. (laughs) Um, Her eyes are glazed over. Yeah. But maybe, maybe that look she's giving him is why he thinks it's her. I feel, should she say something to him that like reminds him of the letters? There must be like a word or something she says in the letters because that's another thing with the movie, the, the constant like misunderstanding, um, to go back for a second, that that scene when they're all at that outside party with like the Burning Man thing, mm-hmm. um, Sean and Paul are talking to each other, and it it real I don't know if this is like supposed to be on purpose, but it sounds like they're almost having two different conversations where each one thinks they're talking about something completely different. Like there's one point where he says like, uh, "Oh, not exactly," and then Paul goes quesadilla, and he's like, "Huh, what?" And he's like, uh, El Sombrero, I'll buy. And then Sean's like, you'll buy. And I feel like Paul thinks he says, you're buy. And then yeah. Paul says, totally buy. And I feel like that's just like, that's kind of like these things that keep happening with the characters is that they just keep misunderstanding each other, which sure, I guess that's yeah, theme of the book. But I have to, I have to wonder if there's just something in that scene that signifies this, again, this just complete misunderstanding of, you know, people's intentions and that must, must contribute to him either, you know, projecting the feelings of the, the purple letter woman, or again, maybe it's just kind of like ties into, you know, Sean's weird 
like perspective and like, oh, like this chick's talking to me, like she's in love with me. This has to be, <laughs> this has to be related. There's no way. So I guess it could really go either way. Right. And he, she is kind of act. She is flirting with him pretty hard. Oh she steals yeah. His sunglasses. Definitely. <laughs> classic flirt move when yeah. you take sunglasses. Someone else's property. <laughs> yeah, they're not going to care. <laughs> I do think that split screen where it's just the two of them talking, but it's in split screen. So you're looking at them both dead on while they're talking. I do think that that is really cool. That's probably my favorite use of split screen in this movie. Yeah. I would uh, say so. But, and then it like, it like pulls out and flips around and they just like connect in the middle into one, one two shot of the two of them. Which I don't like that as much, <laughs> but it might just be, you know, maybe if I saw this movie in 2002, it would look cool to me, but it just looked like something from a goofy music video to me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, man, imagine you're, you know, 13 something years old, you're coming off the heels of watching, you know, movies like Donnie Dargo and Boondock Saints, and you're like, oh my fucking God, this is like the best decade of movies. I can't believe I'm alive right now. And now yeah, you look back and it's like, oh, I mean, that was clever, but it's nothing not like special. You just wipe right. the dust off your shoulder. Yeah. Uh, let's take a quick break here. And then when we get back, we will talk about this movie some more. Have you ever wondered what happens in the Silmarillion? What does Jinko Jean stand for? And how many people can you fit inside of one? And what the gosh darn heck are the ice capades? We found out all about that shit, so you don't have to. <laughs> I'm Liam. I'm Eric. And I'm Big Papa. Nope, he's God Tom. Damn it. <laughs> and we're the hosts of We Are Experts, a show where we speculate wildly about stuff we know nothing about, only to learn what we were wrong about. Doing research, learning things, making our way in the world. And only wasting your time for half of a podcast episode. Oh, welcome to We Are Experts, the world's only short comedy podcast. Every Friday on the Major Cats Network, or wherever you find fine literature. Or podcasts. In the As a result of the scene that we just talked about, um, Paul thinks that he has a date with Sean to go get Mexican food. Yes. But then he, and and while he's getting ready for that date, there's a, just a great sequence of him <laughs> trying on various outfits. Like a dress montage. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, and I, this is like the first of many moments in this movie where I'm like, that I feel like, someone decided to make this movie like primarily to get all these attractive actors together and just like get them to do different poses in their underwear <laughs> and get them to do a lot of goofy dancing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, you can't go wrong with him, James Vanderbeek and Jessica Biel. I mean, it's, it's a nice trio. Yeah. It's a winning, winning formula. Um, but so his date gets sidelined because Jay Baruchel tries to kill himself <laughs> What a fucking dick. What a fucking moron. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the sequence the sequence where they're trying to take um I can't remember what the character's name is. Henry, maybe? Is it like Randy or Ray? I just watched it too. Um whatever. <laughs> they're they're trying to take yeah. Uh, so they're taking him to the to the hospital because he tried to overdose and he's doing this crazy like whoa, whoa acting <laughs> <laughs> like swaying back and forth in the backseat like cross-eyed 
And then there's very and and uh, the other two friends, Sean's uh, not Sean's, Paul's other two friends are very concerned, and Paul doesn't give a shit. Yeah. Um. And then there's a very strange scene where they get to the hospital and the doctor declares Jay Baruchel dead, even though he's still like, talking. <laughs> <laughs> Which is also a scene that's in the book. Um. How do you feel about this scene? I think it's. it's- yeah, I think it's hilarious. Uh, I'm, I'm, I still laughed at it when I watched it last week. I was just like this random doctor who obviously is like, oh, here comes some more, you know, fucked up kids from Camden College. Well, you know what? I'm tired of this shit. I'm going to mess with them now. And so he's clearly just like completely fucking with these kids. And it's just like, oh, your friend's dead. We got to take him inside, bring tests on him. That is so funny. I never thought of it as the doctor fucking with them. I just oh. thought they I just thought they stepped into some like insane absurdist like Albi play. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it makes a lot more sense if the doctor is just like playing a prank on them. That's what I always thought. But maybe hey, listen, I'm I'm open to more interpretations and that sounds cool to me too. So I'll 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 think of that next time I watch it. <laughs> yeah. I mean he is like the doctor is they cast a super creepy guy oh who really feels like a, like a minor character from the David Lynch universe or something. <laughs> yes, he does. <laughs> he would be super at home on Twin Peaks. Oh, um, maybe they drove to like <laughs> Twin Peaks Memorial or something. <laughs> maybe. Uh, uh, <laughs> um, so we don't we don't really see any of Paul's friends again after that, do we? That's kind of it for them. I mean, technically, I guess we see Mitch, but right. Um, oh yeah, Mitch. yeah. They're not really talking, so <laughs> right. Um, but I, I did not like. In particular, I really didn't like one of Paul's friends, the one who comes to get him in his dorm room. I feel like is aggressively playing gay. Like, yeah, yeah. To an insane degree. Yep. He runs up to the dorm and he's like, it's just like all like limbs flailing, <laughs> and it really it feels like a his performance feels like a bad sketch about a gay guy. From yeah, the 90s. definitely does. Um, I mean, besides Paul, who else really? I guess you could really identify as queer in the movie would be his two friends, maybe Mitch, depending on really yeah. if, you read the, if you read the book. Really, you'd only really imply that. Yeah, um, Dick, Dick, I guess. Oh yeah, right, right. Richard, Jared. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I, I don't think I, I was watching again watching it recently. I, I really hated his two friends. Like, besides the fact that they're just like, kind of you know nonsensical to the majority of the story. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't like how they overplay the whole. You know, like, hey, we're we're gay, and it's in two thousand two. You know, sure, no one, I guess, cared. But yeah, I think it's definitely one of the things that if someone watched now, they'd either maybe maybe appreciate it for being kind of like pulpy or they'd have to take a step back and say, OK, this is definitely one part of the movie that is uh, not good. So we're going to move on. But yeah, I, I, I don't know. I think there's also like I don't again, I don't want to give these people too much credit because then I'm just like apologizing for everything. I do feel like the movie is a very, you know, over-exaggerated version of even 
the books, you know, contents. So, you know, they're, they're more than just like people. They're, they're like the complete like diffusion of these archetypes that were so prominent in all those, you know, nineties movies and TV shows. And yeah, I guess maybe again, not giving this, these people that much credit, I guess maybe that was the case. Maybe that was what they were trying to do was just like completely take it to the point of, you know, borderline camp and, you know, see what happens. Is it successful? I don't, yeah, probably not, but. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think that's, I, I think you're onto something. Cause when I was watching this, I kept thinking like the tone of this is so strange, but I'm not sure exactly how to phrase what's strange about it. Mm -hmm. And I would kind of think of David Lynch at some points. Yeah. Um, but I, I also thought of John Waters a lot. Um, yeah. So bringing bringing camp into it, it's like yeah, it's kind of like the like super gross dark side of camp, like John Waters. Yeah, uh, it feels like that that might be what it's going for a little bit. I can definitely see that, uh, and I mean, you also, I mean, taking the fact, um, you know, Roger Avery's background with you know Pulp Fiction and working with you know Quentin Tarantino in general, I think they were part writing partners for a while until you know I don't know if you know the whole thing with him and Tarantino. No, what happened with him and Tarantino? So I'm probably getting a few details wrong, but essentially what happened was apparently, according to some people, Roger Avery is the one who actually wrote the script of Pulp Fiction and Tarantino took too much credit, whereas Roger Avery should have gotten more credit. And then that mm -hmm. also made him very upset when the movie came out and the credits sequence, it shows, you know, written by Quentin Tarantino, story by Roger Avery. So oh, yeah. that did not, that soured their relationship a lot. So going back to my original point, sorry. Uh, so going, going back to like, uh, to Roger Avery's uh, background, you know, in, in writing essentially, you know, pulp crime movies beforehand, um, I think really plays into that, you know, pulpy aspect the same way that, you know, Twin Peaks does. And then, yeah, I think um, trying to do a little camp in it, um, I'm just. I just got to the scene in the movie where they go to the back to the drug dealer's house, and um, Mitch cuts the guy's arm with a fucking chainsaw. Not chainsaw, like a like a, a turkey, like an electric turkey yeah, slicer. Yes, yes. <laughs> and it's just like, oh my god, this is like vaudeville. This is great. They're run, diving under tables. They're jumping around um, furniture. It's wonderful. So I, I would say, yeah, I think that's kind of what they're going for. And you know, it's it's debatable if it's successful. Yeah. Um. That reminds me, the the drug dealer. I it's so funny. I'd forgotten that Roger Avery worked on Pulp Fiction, um, but when I was watching this earlier today, I was like, the, the the drug dealer feels like he's like trying to play like Samuel L. Jackson in Pulp Fiction or something. <laughs> it's in the wrong movie. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's like he's he just keeps being like <laughs> doing the real classic like. Tarantino kind of like grandstanding, like over talkative, uh, demanding, yeah. like demanding his money. <laughs> it feels really, yeah, really Tarantino. -y. <laughs> yeah, it's very, it's very um, excessive. It, it almost comes out of nowhere because just like, oh, it's like these kids doing drugs in college. Cool. And then it's like, where's my motherfucking money, motherfucker? And it's like, yeah. oh, whoa, what, what movie did you just come in from? This is the wrong one. But I yeah. love, I mean, I love Clifton Collins Jr. I think he's like a great underused actor. 
And I think he's like, maybe it's like not perfect in like the way, like what's he doing in this movie? But I don't know. I love his scenes with James Vanderbeek. Um, I remember reading online, apparently Clifton Collins Jr. was really trying to like, like get James Vanderbeek shook. And James Vanderbeek <laughs> was just so stoic and like wouldn't do it. Eventually, he just like smacked him on the head with a, with his fake gun and finally got him <laughs> to like, you know, break. Like, dedicated to his craft. I love it. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, I do think Clifton Collins Jr. is definitely like enjoyable to watch, but he's chewing the scenery super hard. Oh my God. Yeah. The way that like no one else in the movie really is. <laughs> <laughs> he walks over to him by doing karate moves over. It's like he's like <laughs> Mac from It's Always Sunny. Yeah, totally. Oh my God, he's how Mac sees himself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's great. And he's he's got a, a cohort who uh, is reading when we first meet him is reading. What is it? It's like Come Shot Weekly or something. Yeah. <laughs> and, I think they actually like censor it in the movie like itself. Yeah, they do, which is strange, right? <laughs> like, I mean, maybe I guess if it's a picture of an actual cum shot, maybe they would have gotten an NC seventeen rating for showing oh, right. it. If they, if they showed a woman's vagina, they would have got they would have the movie would have been banned. It would have never been shown. So yeah, but then it's like, why? Then why choose that? I just I don't know. There's just a decision tree that went into choosing the cum shot <laughs> magazine and then blurring it out that I don't understand. Yeah, especially for <laughs> a movie that wants to you know showcase all this edginess. It's like, well. Uh, we do, but we can't show uh, this magazine scene. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Um, and his his cohort has a Jamaican accent that I don't know anything about this actor. I don't know if he's Jamaican, but it yeah. does not seem real to me. <laughs> oh, my God. It's, it's like incredibly put on. He says bumbaclot like every 10 seconds. I mean, yeah, you have to wonder, is this okay? I don't know. It's Is it funny? Sort of. I mean, is it is it hurting anyone? I don't think so. So maybe like we can watch it without like being too worried about it. I don't know if he's Jamaican, but I think he is a I think he's a very funny character in the movie. And it seems like uh, there's actually weird scenes in the movie between him and James Vanderbeek, where it almost seems like this character uh, likes him. Like they're almost like friendly with each other. Uh, the character like calls him. Like, uh, oh, what the hell? He called him like a, a very, almost like touching, like name you'd give like a younger cousin or something. It was very strange. I was, it was like, was there a plot here where they were just like really cool and like hung out and then Rupert just would ruin everything all the time? I don't know. Yeah. Mm, yeah. I want more information on that for sure. I, d I didn't notice him giving them like a, giving him like a pet name, but I did notice that in all the scenes where Rupert is freaking out, his, associate whose name i don't remember is like hey oh, you know guest. what his name is guest his name is guest great yeah. name <laughs> well guest is like hey you know it's not a big deal let's all just let's all just relax stop, scare, <laughs> stop scaring the boy come on right. <laughs> yeah um and i feel like the owing rupert money plot uh, uh like takes takes a, a bigger it has a bigger role in the movie than in the book yeah. like I, I we kind, kind of the primary things driving sean through this story are like trying to get that money and then trying to trying to get lauren in his way yeah <laughs> um 
Oh, which reminds me. So right after his first his first interaction with Rupert, and he's he's trying to get this money that he owes him. He's talking to a, a naked guy in a dorm who's shooting up heroin. And is it is it Fred Savage? That is Fred Savage. Yes, <laughs> Fred Savage. Playing and he's playing Mark. Yeah, <laughs> he's he. It's some really good super high acting. <laughs> oh, it's 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 uh, Oscar uh, worthy. Watching yeah. watching the Wonder Years kid uh, smoke weed out of a oboe and then shoot a pair winner. So it's awesome. <laughs> oh, was he smoking weed out of the oboe? That's what I thought. Of, or cigarettes. That sorry, cigarettes. Oh, I thought I thought he was just like so high that he's like, I'm gonna play some music. <laughs> but, but yeah, okay, that makes sense. <laughs> Because he never does play any music, and he's talk—he's talking about how time is all—it's all subjective. Yep. It sort of seems like he—he's like the the co- comedy version, or like the absurd version of kind of what this movie is saying. Oh, it's <laughs> like it's, it's definitely the director being like, "All right, here's what the movie's about. Pay attention." It's going to mm-hmm. come from Fred freaking Savage. So, <laughs> yeah. And this also has like our, yeah, kind of one of our first um, incidences of that, that thing that happens at the Burning Man scene where yeah. they're kind of having two different conversations. Yeah. <laughs> Sean's like, where's the cash? And Fred Savage is like, what class? I'm what not class? in that class. <laughs> um, <laughs> my, my biggest takeaway from this scene was I want to hang out with James Vanderbeek and Fred Savage so bad because I think they both seem like such nice boys and I bet they had a great time on set. Oh my god, I'm sure they had so much fun. I wish I could be their friend too. Um, yeah. Did uh, there was one thing? Um, <laughs> now I'm just thinking about like like James Vanderbeek like walking around holding my hand and like showing me around. <laughs> um, oh, that's the dream. Oh, it really is. Um, <laughs> Uh, actually, speaking of Fred Savage's character, uh, Mark, in the book, I don't, I don't think the movie says it, but in the book, he starts talking about like basically his theory of how like Generation X was created, and he just goes on about like we were all in our mom's wombs when Kenny was assassinated, and I, I've always liked that particular dialogue because I'm, always, it's almost like he's implying like just this great darkness just destroyed the future of like America and then it was just like born with the, their kids. And um, I think, I mean, when he got older and he did like American psycho and stuff, I think he touched on more of the, the bigger kind of, you know, I don't want to call him like anti-capitalist, but at least you know, a way to interpret it was like talking about the breakdown of society and why these people are so disaffected was because of, you know, this and this um you know rules of attraction and lesson zero really never got into okay i shouldn't say that they never made it a bigger i guess big picture type thing with why these people are like this way it was like oh their parents are shitty oh they you know they have too much money and nothing to do but like what really created these people and i feel like they, they really missed an opportunity there to have mark talk about like you know jfk uh, conspiracy that basically doomed his generation. I wish they had kept it in there. Yeah, that's great. I don't remember that in the book, but that's that's honestly an incredible theory. 
then maybe yeah. that's why Freddy Stanella sucks so bad. That might oh, that makes so much sense. He never recovered from the Kennedy assassination. I yeah. Can we talk about Bernie Stanella for a second? Uh, yeah. <laughs> this, is, uh, this is for this, right? <laughs> so I haven't read White. I never will. Sorry. Good. Don't. <laughs> I I used to listen to his podcast. Does he still mm -hmm. do it? Mm -hmm. Have you listened to it recently? Uh, it's been a couple months. It's subscriber only. I, oh am, my God. I am currently a subscriber. <laughs> wow. That's two, two hours. One, I can't believe you. Two, I cannot believe he has the audacity to make his podcast subscriber only. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think that he just needs that money and he he read ads for a little while and he was yeah. like, I cannot lower myself to to talking about Squarespace one more time. <laughs> <laughs> And I and I guess he has enough of a like devoted fan base that he can he can churn out a podcast of the quality that he turns out and yeah. make a reasonable amount of money. I'm sure. And then there's um, you know there's morbid curiosity people like me as well. Yeah. No, I will. I mean, I will listen to. It. I check it out. I used to think it was actually a pretty intelligent show, but I've definitely uh, smartened up since then. <laughs> um, speaking of him, I want I wanted to ask you. Um, I believe you touched on this with Andrew during the book episode for Rules of Attraction. Mm -hmm. Do you do you still think that uh, Bradley Ellis basically thinks he's like Sean Bateman, or was I misunderstanding that? Uh, no, I think th I I think Sean Bateman seems like he's kind of Brett's avatar character okay. in this story, although Paul does too. Yeah. Um, but I and I mean I always think that Brett, the versions of himself that Brett writes to Brett writes into his fiction are obviously like have their bad quality have his bad qualities like pumped up to a million. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think he, I think he identifies with Sean Bateman, and I think the fact that like. 15 years later he was like i think sean bateman would be gay now um, <laughs> after he came out I, I just feel like that supports that <laughs> cool real real jk rolling hours over here that's very cool yeah. oh my god i compared him to jk rolling on the american psycho episode and my guest leslie lee the third was not having it <laughs> i spent a lot of time shit talking one of his favorite books american psycho and he was like mm, okay okay but then i compared brett to jk rolling and he was like no <laughs> not say that. well you know there's just some people that are just you know number one uncancelable uncancelable <laughs> i cannot say anything even remotely correctly today you know what i mean number two some people just you cannot scrutinize and let me tell you right now top three James, James Vanderbeek. No, it's yeah. just top one. It's just top one. <laughs> I really wish uh, we saw him in more stuff. Uh, I'm very yeah. upset that he didn't get to take off like, you know, well, everyone else really has. It. I just feel like he's like, eh, not doing much. Yeah. It's because he's a it's because he's a good man. Yeah. I think that <laughs> must no be it. No, there's not. Yeah. He, I, I love James Vanderbeek. 
his I, I listened to him on the Brady Sonalis podcast pretty recently. It was an older episode, but I really listened to I listened to it for the first time recently and he just seemed so nice. <laughs> and he was try, he just like trying to gently explain to Brett like what human decency is oh <laughs> without, without being rude to Brett. <laughs> it was really <laughs> it was really sweet. <laughs> oh God bless you, James Randerby. Yeah, he's a good boy. Um, but so I'm curious, um, did you bring up the Sean Bateman as Brady Sonellis thing because you disagree? No, not particularly. Um, I feel, I mean, I think it's more of a lines of like, it's, it's the person Brett thought he was probably, and definitely probably in a way wishes he was. Cause again, this is a character that Brady Sonellis would think is quote unquote, super cool. And I did mm-hmm. finger quotes that you can see. I want everyone to know I'm. I'm not saying at all that this character is cool. Um, he talks cool sometimes, but that's about it. That's all I'll give him. Um, <laughs> so I just thought it was interesting kind of going into how, I guess, an author looks at the way they write characters and, you know, the whole business of whether the people, you know, they or you write, are they like a facet of you? Are they more like you than not? Um, I haven't read, like, for instance, Lunar Park, but I'm pretty sure that's a, fictionalized version of uh, Brady Snellis, right? The main character. And I mean, did he basically just write Brady Snellis and is pretending that it's a fictionalization of himself? Honestly, it's really interesting. I feel like Brady Snellis, the Lunar Park character, is one of his least Brett Easton Ellis E wow. narrators. Because um, Brady, Brady Snellis, the the narrator of Lunar Park, um, there's kind of a lot of signifiers that he's a stand-in for Brett's father and that and that Brett's son, it, it, fictional Brett's son in the book is more of kind of an analog to real Brett. Um, but he's obviously not 100% Brett's father, but uh, I think I think he's like a, a heavy hybrid of like Brett and Brett's dad. Yeah. Whereas I feel like most of Brett's other narrators are kind of just him just like alternate universe him with like conscience toned down 20 percent and like handsomeness toned up attractiveness ten thousand percent everyone wants to do me type of stuff yeah that's funny that yeah the one that's about him the most is probably the least real version of him uh yeah because he's like a suburban dad he's in a heterosexual marriage um it's like very very not brett <laughs> not at all wow okay uh yeah no but to, to answer your question no I, I don't think um i don't disagree at all i if anything i would i would say this this is like the version i think of this is like what he was like in 1987 like just a complete <laughs> probably shit bag <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, i could definitely see a young Brady Stanellis. Uh, acting a lot like Sean Bateman, uh, who is a complete shitbag. <laughs> yes, yes. But you know what? I do think he's cool. He sucks, but I do think yeah. he's cool. He's got a motorcycle. He, I mean, he's got a motorcycle. He looks pissed off all the time. Oh God, he never looks happy. It's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's honestly, I, I, I really am impressed with the like hundred different ways that Sean Vanderbeek looks like pissed off in this movie. Did you say Sean Vanderbeek? 
I may have. <laughs> that's, that's great. I'm going to take that. Sean Vanderbeek, yes. Sean Vanderbeek. Um, <laughs> James Vanderbeek has like so many shades of like disgust and unhappiness yeah. that play across his face in this movie. It's great. Yeah. And that's also uh, the very beginning when he first introduced his character. And even in several scenes, in several scenes of the movie where they're just, it's almost like just on him, it almost feels like a weird horror movie. Like the way it zooms in on his yeah. face at the beginning, and he has that incredibly like psychotic like sneer. Yeah. You know, like up up from under look, like a yeah. classic villain face. It's so for it's super over the top. Yeah, yeah. He looks like um uh what is his name uh, Vincent D'Onofrio from um <gasps> from Men in Black. <laughs> no, well, yeah, he's in that movie, but um, Full <laughs> Metal Jacket. That's what it is. Yeah, I think he. I'm not. I'm not just saying like, oh, I know of him from Men in Black. I no, feel like I, he also does that face. <laughs> in Men in Black. <laughs> that that I just like. I don't care. Uh, give me Bugs' face. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It is exactly the the um, Full Metal Jacket face, and it's so it's so uh it feels so out of place because he's just kind of like debating whether he should fuck this girl who wants to have sex with him. Yeah. Well, you remember he's an emotional vampire. He's That's an what emotional he said. Vampire. Yeah. That is uh, something that that guy would say. Yeah. But Sean I, Bateman, I, yeah. Yeah. But I hate hearing it. Yeah. Like, no, ugh. Ugh. <laughs> it's it's like the equivalent of like you're talking to like a guy and you're having a good time and you're like, hey, let's like do something more serious. And he's like, uh, you don't know like the things that I have to go through to like get out of bed every day. You don't want me. I'm trouble. And it's just like, Oh my God, get the hell out of here. Yeah. That's a hundred percent. But it's played Um, completely straight in the movie, which I think makes it even like, it makes it funnier. I don't. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's fair. It is funny, but it's hard. It's hard at least for me to say like whether I'm laughing at the movie or like if I'm laughing in a way the movie wants me to be laughing. Yeah. Okay. I see what you're saying. Yeah. It could go go either way. I'm really not sure. (laughs) Yeah. No, I I see that. I see that. Um, I do like that in this, in that scene, he, we see kind of like different paths that his life could take. He's like, he's like, well, I could uh, smoke some more weed with these guys. I could go home, play the guitar, jerk off and fall asleep. <laughs> I could take her to a diner and then ditch her with the check. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, or I can have sex with her. Mm, I guess I'll have sex with her. Uh, and uh, I, I kind of feel like this movie's like really set up the thing about like, you know, choices and like alternate pathways yeah. early on. Um, and then, but then we kind of see less and less of that as the movie goes on. Yeah. But I don't know. It might be annoying if all the way through the movie we're seeing like, what if I do this? It <laughs> looks like this. Um, but I don't know. I think it would have been interesting if they kind of like kept it more frequent um, or in the background at least. I guess they were, I guess they kind of were saving it for that whole Victor scene where they just have him just going like 20, 200 miles on speed across of, you know, Western Northern Europe. So I don't know. I I think uh, it kind of like ties in. I feel like that, that whole idea kind of ties into the end of the movie. Um, If you don't mind us talk about that a little bit before we get to the actual ending. Um, Kind of, again, that idea of like, 
you know, reoccurrence and, um, you know, the, the, the flat circle idea. I, <laughs> I, I remember like the first, like, you know, 15, 20 times I watched the movie, I was like, Oh, this is a movie of, like about people like trapped in a cycle who just keep doing the same thing over and over again. But like this movie almost has like, like a dark tower ending where he, Sean Bateman <laughs> discovered like he had this one little thing that he didn't have to do. And he decided to make a different choice and he just, you know, it affected everyone else and they all didn't have to have these terrible experiences of college life. Um, so mm. I feel like, I don't know. I think it should have been more frequent in the movie, but I do kind of like at the ending, there's at least some room open for interpretation in terms of, you know, did these things still happen? Is it always happening? Is are we just watching these people go through all this suffering every freaking time we turn on the movie? Um, that's what I think about when I watch this movie. Unfortunately, yeah, too, much, <laughs> too many dumb, too many dumb things. Oh <laughs> um, yeah, I really like the the absolute end end of the movie when he's like and there were all these things that i thought i'd never forget but but ultimately all i could think about was oh my god (laughs) that i feel like that was a high risk a high risk high reward ending yeah (laughs) and i'm so obnoxious but i'm i'm really into it (laughs) yeah i love that ending I, i love the ending in the book and the movie um I don't even know what to say about it because I I remember seeing it for the first time and just being shocked. Like, wh- where's my where's my closure? Where's my le- neat little bow of these people's lives? And you know, do they get better or worse? I need to know. And then, you know, as I got older, grislier, and cynicaler, I it's like, oh, there's no such thing as closure, kid. You know, come on, step <laughs> off, let's go. So, you know, the fact that that was like a and again a movie that was like marketed to. I think it was marketed to people to like go see as like a fun, you know, romp <laughs> and, you know, to have just like this almost borderline nihilistic ending of like, just nothing matters and you're never going to know, you're never going to know anyone. So get used to it. I just thought it was, yeah, very ballsy, very, uh, I, I like it. I love the ending. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. So that, that no one knows anyone thing. Um, when Sean tries to declare his love to Lauren, she says, and he says, I want to know you. She's like, you can't know me. No one ever knows anyone. And then yeah. immediately he turns around and Sean, and Paul's like, I, <laughs> I want to know you. And Sean's like, you can't know me. No one ever knows anyone. Yeah. It's like these people just like absorb like their personality traits onto each other. And yeah. they're not, they're not real people. They're, they're walking shells who just, just absorb everything. They're, they're all emotional vampires. It's not just Sean. They're just, these people so empty of everything. It just, uh, I, really, it makes, that's really what being in college is like. <laughs> yeah, no, it definitely is. You're never your real self. You're never, you never know if someone likes you or not. And eventually you drive off into the night on a motorcycle and no one ever sees you again. Yeah. If you're lucky. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, we, when um, when Lauren says nobody ever knows anyone, I'm like, ugh, that's such a like pretentious faux like faux deep thing to say. But yeah. then when Sean turns around and just immediately repeats it, like it's his original idea, I love that. <laughs> like, that's a great that's a great character moment. Yeah, and I really love that scene with him and Paul because he just like, goddamn, this man can act. He's just like so 
not even distraught, but he just like has nothing left inside him. And he's just like, you're not going to ever know me, Paul. Like, <laughs> I don't like you. I never did <laughs> rock and roll. And it's just like, oh my, there's just so much coming off you that you just, oh, you're like the coolest fucking guy and I hate you. <laughs> yeah. And his acting like all throughout this movie, he does such a good job in the scenes with Paul, I think, of being like clearly like clearly to us kind of like dripping with hatred yeah <laughs> but but in a way that's blank enough that you can also see how paul would project something else onto it and, and just be like oh yeah you know he's just like a scowly a scowly eyed guy yeah. but with a warm heart <laughs> i mean Paul, paul's like us we see this cool guy and he's an asshole but you know what he's freaking hot so we gotta like talk to him i mean geez i don't yeah. blame paul but no it's like that whole that whole thing between them. I have to wonder. I don't think the book never confirms it. I don't think. Correct me if I'm wrong. But I wonder if the character in the movie, Sean Bateman, does he actually understand that Paul's like in love with him, or does he just say, like, at least until the end, does he actually realize that Paul's into him and he's kind of just using him to get you know drugs and free CDs, or does he actually? like just aloof to this that always like puzzle it still puzzles me to this day like does he actually know or not yeah you know it's a good question you can't really you kind of can't really tell yeah because <laughs> because whenever really whenever it seems like paul is trying to talk to him about it you can tell that he's he has a look in his eyes that's sort of like i have no idea what the fuck this guy is saying <laughs> but i don't care enough to ask for clarification <laughs> oh, it's like and, this, that... and in the in the moment where um, he drives Paul to the bus and Paul's riding the bus off yeah. to work or whatever. Paul's like inner monologue is like, I love you, Sean Bateman. And Sean's is like, I wonder if Lauren would come. If <laughs> I wonder if she comes at all. Mm -hmm. What's the point of having sex with a girl if she doesn't come? It's like writing a, <laughs> a question in a, asking a question in a letter. That feels like something that, Brad Easton Ellis came up with and was very proud of. <laughs> oh, he, yeah, he definitely was like getting, he was asking people to pat him on the back for that. Yeah. 100%. Mm -hmm. um, I also do like that scene with um, when Paul calls him from New York on a payphone of all things in the middle oh. of the hall, the door room hallway. Like someone's just, that was, I, I still can't believe that would ever happen. Like people you can't just call a payphone in a, a hallway and expects one to know what you're talking about. That I was, know, but maybe that's how it was in the nineties. I don't know. Nineties <laughs> were crazy, man. I can't yeah. I can't can't accept it. <laughs> but I love um when uh he's like, Hey Sean, it's like it's me and it's like who's this? And he's like, It's Paul. It's like, who's Paul? And he's just like like is he is he being like I just I, I hate that I just can't figure him out. Like is he just being a complete and utter dickhead on purpose or does this man just not actually know who he's talking to? And I guess I, if I want to like, again, give these people a ton of credit, they probably don't deserve. I have to wonder if that's like part of, you know, the themes, like, you know, when Victor comes back and Lauren goes to see him, you know, Victor's like, you're just a blurry face to me. I don't know who you are. Is that just like the people you meet? Is that like the people you meet in college? Like, it's just like, just people just, blank spaces walking past you i i hope not i hope that's not the the case very negative viewpoint and 
frankly, Mr. Uh, Ellis, I don't, I don't agree with it, but <laughs> yeah, you know, Brett. get some more friends. Friends exist. <laughs> uh, I, I think there is like, I mean, I've never had this experience with like a person who thought I knew them, but, but there is a sort of a sort of feeling of like, there are things that seem so important to you in like your early twenties or your college years that are then like so quickly forgotten Yeah, that it'll just be like one day, this is like your, this makes up your entire identity. This is like yeah. the core of who you are. And then it's like, Oh, <laughs> you just forget about it. You find it in a notebook 10 years later and you're like, Oh yeah, I was like dead set on being a sea captain for a month or whatever. <laughs> what happened to my dreams? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I agree. <laughs> oh boy, that's great. Yeah. <laughs> um, we haven't really talked about Jessica Beale. Oh who, yeah. Who I don't think is a character in the book. If she is, she's a much, much more minor character. She might not have been called Laura in the book. I think. Mm. Uh, I'm, I'm blanking on that. I think you're right, though. She's definitely not a major character. In the book, uh, the movie, uh, she's in she's in a, quite a few scenes. She's apparently one of Lauren's good friends. Uh, she's almost – no, I was going to say she's like the opposite. She's like the mirror image of Sean, but she's really not. She's like maybe even – maybe probably, probably slightly better than him in terms of personality. At least she's like, I don't know nice sometimes <laughs> compared to him yeah she doesn't really like hurt anybody she's just like she does a lot of coke yeah loves she drugs. borderline eating disorder and she yep. like has has a lot of sex and and the movie i think doesn't really like her for those things um, but she doesn't really hurt anybody she's just but she you also know, she doesn't get punished for any of these things either if anything, she's probably her and Victor are the only characters who make out of it with uh, everything they wanted, really, at the end. She marries a senator. Yeah. And he, whatever he gets doing in a Glamorama, which um, I think he gets into a terrorist plot or something. Correct. Yes. <laughs> His dream. Um, yep, absolutely. <laughs> um, I feel, I feel like the way that the movie introduces Jessica Biel is so weird. Like she's like dancing down a hallway in her bra oh, and her back yeah. is like drinking out of a bottle and she fucks the entire football team. And Laura in voiceover is like, now she's married to a senator. And that and like none of that stuff really comes into play or seems to matter because she just fills the role of like the best friend character. Right. And uh... Well, I wonder. I have to like assume those introductions to the characters was to like just to show you like these people, you know, either aren't likable or you know they're the kind of people you you should like you know pity in a way. I mean, you know, Sean Bateman, notwithstanding, with his whole weird uh, vampire entrance into the the movie and looking like he's gonna murder everyone around him. You know, we're supposed to, I think we're supposed to like feel sorry for Lauren, just like her, her weird kind of like um, acceptance of things without really fighting or even, you know, voicing like the things she wants or just or says to anyone. 
just because you can't have you know Victor. We see Victor for a slight minute in that scene where he's talking about you know just fucking girls in Europe, and then of course you know Paul, who has it, you know, just a, one of the worst experiences any you know a queer person can have, especially you know in college among all those you know kind of people, just to get fucking like gay slurs thrown at you because you're you misunderstood you know something it's like it, it's supposed to make you feel really uncomfortable and jessica beale's entrance i i think i will say i don't like i think it's almost too uncomfortable especially like i don't know i feel like there was like a weird thing going on with that particular scene just because like woo, here's like the football team they're gonna take you into this room and then one of like the one of like the the black football guys is like oh white girls and it's like why what why what is this necessary for why why are you saying this This is so weird yeah unnecessary it's yeah it's like both kind of rapey because she's drunk we're not sure how drunk but and then there's also yeah this weird like this weird uh racist component of being like and it's not only is it eight guys most of them are black yeah i mean thank god i can only imagine it's like the notes brady sinellis must have gave roger avery is like oh make sure you mention that in the movie like this has to be a thing this people are gonna love it uh, it's it makes me uncomfortable i mean i i almost like understand like you know like laurentine i don't like because it's just like too much but at least like it kind of makes sense in terms of her character's arc where it's going. Same thing with Paul and Sean, but then like Jessica Beale's character. I don't, I get it. She likes to have sex. She gets drunk. This doesn't need to be a weird, like gangbang implication. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so let's see. Is there anything else that we haven't talked about that is important? Oh, we didn't talk about, uh, Dick. Oh, Dick. I love Dick. <laughs> His character is great. Yeah. He, you know, I earlier I said that um that the drug dealer was the only one like super chew in the scenery, but Dick is right there with him. Oh my Dick god. Is- over the top. I I love that whole scene with him and his mother. <laughs> <laughs> He's just, uh, she's just like, how school? And he's just like, it sucks, cock. <laughs> just like, like dying. Yeah. <laughs> he's amazing. Um, yeah. <laughs> do you know who that actor is? Um, I can probably he's find so- his name real quick. I don't know his actual name. He looked vaguely familiar to me, but it's kind of hard. He has like those aviators on the whole time, so it's kind of hard to please him. Yeah, he looks familiar. Um, I almost want to see... I'm watching this movie, you know, this year. So after all these awful, terrible, wonderful things have happened to these past uh, decade. And mm-hmm. I'm looking at Richard's character. And I'm like, does this motherfucker, like, look like Milo Yiannopoulos? Like, oh. is this what, like, he got... Did he see this movie... 18 years ago and was like oh this is me this is what i'm going to do one day yeah this is exactly what he wants to be it's it was and i have to assume that 
Brady Sinellis is probably thinks he's a cool guy or something, some dumb I, bullshit like that. I always I worry that that Brett thinks Milo Yiannopoulos is cool. I haven't looked into it enough to know for sure, but I feel like I feel oh, like yeah. there's a chance. They, I'm like definitely like 99 sure they've talked on the phone at least and been like hey i love your work and it's like yeah you're i like that you're um you know super edgy okay just like <laughs> has to have happened i can only imagine yeah but i um I, I i couldn't find his name unfortunately but i love love all the scenes of him him and paul dancing on the the bed to uh george michael that was so fucking yeah. awesome um yeah all the music in this movie is really good mm. and just have it's just like they're having like a lot of fun like it's as, as yeah. all the much all the bad things that happen in this movie like the actors just seem like they're having a really good time like making it which yeah is nice yeah it's enjoyable <laughs> yeah that is nice you know good for them <laughs> <laughs> like glad you can find the the light and all this all this terrible darkness yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I really that I do I really like that scene where they're dancing to George Michael in their underwear. And yeah. it seems it seems like they are about to have sex or else just had sex. Yeah, well uh, they definitely they definitely do. I don't know if it's before or after. Yeah. I'm not sure either, but they did at some point. Oh hell yeah, uh, they did. Yeah. And then and then when they're at dinner with both of their moms, Richard has his foot in Paul's <laughs> <crotch> <laughs> <time>. <laughs> Well, he's causing a huge scene. He keeps making all those weird noises. Like, meow, meow, meow. it's like, what is wrong with this guy? Yeah. He's almost doing a, like, um, uh, he's almost doing, like, Foley work. <laughs> he's doing, like, sound effects. <laughs> like, Michael Winslow sound effects. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's just so bored and so over everything that he's just doing like insane shit just to just to entertain himself for a moment it's great yeah and i think i think he is another character who seems very based on brett i could definitely see <laughs> young literary it boy brett walking into a fancy restaurant and being like it sucks God. <laughs> Yeah, and he just said, and Dick's character just kind of comes in and goes. Um, I guess it's kind of a lot of what the movie is. It's almost just like a lot of, you know, interconnected vignettes with um, these characters until, I guess, the end. I guess there really is no, like, lining thread that follows all these various subplots with the main plot because they all just kind of happen. Yeah. Um, I mean, do you think the movie handled that? well because i know that the book's kind of similar but yeah the book is similar um i f i feel like in the book the thing that kind of carries you through is like um you know everybody's kind of like fixated on one person and like being fixated on by another person and it's like their misunderstandings and misinterpreting signals um and they're just like obsession. That's like, that kind of takes the place of a plot. It's just kind of that like feeling that yeah. drives you through. I feel like in the movie, um, partially because, because, you know, we don't get, we still get a fair amount of internal monologue because there's a fair amount of voiceover. But since we're not getting their entire internal monologue, I feel like I kind of get lost with like what people want or what people are thinking or what people think is happening. Um, 
So for me personally, I I don't feel like the movie hangs together that well because I feel like you lose a little bit of like what each person thinks their situation is. Uh-huh. Um, and then, so when you're not able to as clearly be like, oh, she thinks this, but he thinks this. Um, it's, yeah, it's kind of not clear what the movie's about. <laughs> is the movie about anything? I guess is even the bigger question. The book is, yeah. I think. The movie is kind of just... It's it's something for your eyes and ears. It's it's almost like you can. I feel like I'm giving I'm giving these people too much credit. It's not. <laughs> I'm like over over complicating this movie. It's about a bunch of kids who like to do drugs and have sex. That's that's the movie, guys. <laughs> read the read books. Read literature. The book's better. I I I I completely believe that. <laughs> I felt like I expected you to come into this movie like standing it so much harder. <laughs> but, I, so uh, I mean, like like I said at the beginning, I I do I do really you know I'll say the word love this movie. I think it's a lot of it is almost a nostalgic kind of thing since I had the, the wonderful opportunity to see it when I was so young, and I think that might have just make etched into my mind of. Like, oh, yeah, I'll always like this, even in a way that, like, I don't care about, I don't give a shit about, you know, those kind of movies from that time period, like Donnie Darko, Boondock Saints, you know, all that really terrible dog shit movies. But <laughs> this movie, I don't know. I, I I actually bought I bought it on Apple TV. It's I own it forever. <laughs> so I I, um, I I enjoy watching it. I enjoy showing the, pe- the movie to people. Um, I I do not enjoy. Uh, misjudging people who I think would like it and showing them and then them not liking the first half of the movie because of all the awful things. And that's always an awkward, nice time, but (laughs) no, I don't, I don't want to defend the movie in a way that makes it sound like this is a great, you know, piece of art. It's, um, you know, it's, it's like a cult classic, but it's like, it's a cult classic for a reason. It didn't catch on because, I don't know. I don't think there's like a ton here that's going to appeal to everyone. You're kind of watching this for, I think, you know, the aesthetic and I, the, uh, the, the intended and unintended humor of the movie. Mm. It's, it's not, it's not like the room bad, but you know, it's not, it's not great movie. Yeah. I, I feel like it sounds like you have kind of the relationship to it that I have to like the Rocky horror picture show or it's, oh, what do you- Doc treatment. <laughs> How do you feel about those? Well, I think they're both like super fun and the music is great in both of them, mm-hmm. but like as a story or as oh. like, or as like <laughs> a piece of acting or like a, a work of art, it's like, well, it's questionable, <laughs> but I love it. I will watch it forever. I will watch it anytime I get the chance. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Weirdly enough, I used to, I used to absolutely loathe Rocky Horror Picture Show. Yeah. And then, I guess I don't. I guess like as I get older, I just start to like all the things I used to hate. And I, I saw it recently, like at a Halloween show in a theater, and I was like, "Wow, this was a great time! I can't believe I enjoyed all of this. This movie's great. I love all the music. T- Tim Curry is a masterpiece in human form. This is a wonderful. So I, I feel like yeah. No, I answered. We answer, I answered your question already. I don't know why I keep doing this. Yes. It's hard. It's hard to it's hard to know when to stop talking on a podcast. <laughs> it feels like it. it must be like a normal conversation, but it's just a little bit different. <laughs> I hate it. 
Yeah, it's rough, <laughs> but you're doing. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, the one other semi-important character that we haven't talked about is uh, Sean's actual secret admirer. Who, oh, who is leaving him notes and then kills herself. Yes. <laughs> and she's like it, in the background of a couple scenes. Um, which the movie makes sure that that you notice because when it, during her suicide scene, there's like flashbacks to all the times she was there in the corner and you didn't oh, see her. Yeah, there's a montage of the the weird girl standing in the corner admiring Sean. It's great. Yeah, which is so um, goofy. <laughs> yeah, so I I think I remember in the book she doesn't have a name, right? I think she actually. Uh, she narrates some of her own chapters and you don't find out her name for like the majority of the book, but then like mm. towards, the, towards the end, like right when she's about to die, she kind of offhandedly mentions her name being Mary, but Mary, it's like yeah. really buried in there and no one ever talks about Mary. So it doesn't add anything knowing that like, she's just nobody. <laughs> <It's a different> <laughs> <name>. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yes. Uh, so some back, some funny background is found out about that. Actually, the woman who plays Mary apparently was roommates with Shannon Sossaman. Oh, really? Yeah, and yeah. she's he recommended her to play the role, and the the casting crew said, "Okay, she can play Mary." And yeah. that 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 one scene when um, Sean is having sex with Laura, and they, he she look he looks up and sees a picture of her and Mary. That's a real mm -hmm. picture. That's them being friends, oh, hanging out at house. That was just from their life. From, yes. from being <laughs> Oh, that's cool. <laughs> yeah. Nice little fact. And it was like, oh, that's cool. I'm glad you guys are friends. Yeah. That does yeah. that seems like it might have been a real fun set. <laughs> it, it sounds like it. I mean, geez, if I could be part of the crew working on the Victor part, I'm sure I would have probably ended up in a river somewhere. <laughs> but you know, say la vie. And la vie. And Mary scenes, I feel like there's something very, that seems very haunting. Mm -hmm. uh, that whole scene, the bathtub and the song, what is that song playing? Is it without you? Oh yeah. Um, it's like if living is without you, I can't, can't live. live. Yeah. I don't know what it is, but I noticed the lyrics being slightly on the nose. <laughs> yeah. Telling you right in your face. <laughs> that scene is so, very powerful and again it's kind of like like what movie is this what what are you doing in this movie this is not yeah. okay you should be in a different movie and then shannon sossman's uh, uh, lauren coming to find her body and it actually that's another scene where they do the kind of multiple choice thing because you know is she grabbing the body and pulling her out is she leaving suddenly oh god I, i'm thinking about that scene now and it's on, it's a lot of uncomfortable scenes in this movie. Yeah. A lot of a lot of played out stuff that maybe should have been more implied than explicit, but I don't know. Yeah. I'm not a I'm not a director. I'm not a movie maker. <laughs> what do I know? Well, probably about as much as the people who made this movie, honestly. <laughs> I'm starting to get I think I know how you feel about this movie. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. Um, yeah, you're right. They do do the the choose your own adventure thing in in the suicide scene as well. And then they once again have one side kind of take over the screen, so it feels like it's saying 
this actually happened. The other thing was just kind of imagined. Yeah. So it's it seems like the movie's telling you that she just kind of stands there rather than pulling her out of the bathtub. But I yeah. guess it it could be you could I guess you could interpret it as like both of these things happened uh, because time is a flat circle. Um, but we're we're now we're gonna follow this path. So that's why that's the one that takes over the screen. Have you I have you do you watch Black Mirror? I I, I do watch Black Mirror, yes, have I do. Played, have you played Bandersnatch? Oh, of course I have. It's wonderful. <laughs> I just just I only played it for the first time like a couple days ago, but I played it, I've played it like four times since then because I want to get every ending. But so playing playing it like four times in the last couple days and then watching this movie, I was like, I can't tell, like, I can't tell if I feel like this is a choose your own adventure movie because I've been playing Bandersnatch so much or if like, or if that's really a, a heavy theme of the movie that I just didn't pick up on before. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it really did have that feeling to me. You're waiting for the movie to pause, and it's like, should I should I do drugs with Sean, or should I go home and jerk off? Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. that would be great. Actually, maybe someone should make a Choose Your Own Adventure Rules of Attraction uh, interactive movie. Oh my god, that would be great. Yeah, I would love that. Yeah, do it. Internet. Did you know? There was, yeah, do it. Did you know they were supposed to make like a like a TV show adaptation of this? Of Rules of Attraction? No, I, I think Bravo or one of those channels is supposed to one of the, like the channels in the forties and fifties actually. Okay. I'm talking like, I'm talking to like people from my hometown, <laughs> <It's> <laughs> yeah, right. a channel like Bravo or TNT or something like that. Wanted to make an adaptation of uh, rules of attraction into a, into a TV show. And apparently Roger Avery was supposed to make it with them. I think in 2014. Oh, wow. And, and I guess I'm going to assume it's probably never going to happen. Yeah. And I don't think anything that Brady Sinellis has written would be a great TV show. Less Than Zero was in production at Hulu as a TV show for a little bit. But that fell through. But I felt what? like that one I felt like that one could have been a good TV show. I think if it was so episodic in the first place. Yeah. yeah. I guess if it was like a mini series. Yeah, I feel like series. I feel like a lot of his books just have like, you know, there's a, there's an ending and there's yeah, really no true. reason, no reason to keep going. Just end it. <laughs> yeah. So why, you know, this doesn't need five seasons of like clay and, you know, season three, his sister goes off to college and he's <laughs> like, I don't, I don't know. I don't need all these like weird sub. I don't know. I have a weird <laughs> problem with television right now. As you can tell. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it should definitely end at some point. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, you definitely wouldn't want to see like the late season, <laughs> late season of Less Than Zero, and Clay is like thirty. Thirty years old. He has a real job. He's finally yeah. back on the West Coast, and oh, <laughs> guess what? He's unhappy. Find out <laughs> what happens. The Less Than Zero Zero TV show just goes so long; it has to become Imperial Bedrooms. Oh, see now that'd be kind of cool if that yeah, was the case. Yeah, we can just fill in the just fill in the middle. <laughs> so whatever we think probably happened. Whatever we yeah, whatever there is left. We'll get yeah. we'll get Brady Sinellis to write a few episodes. It'll be fun. Yeah. When's the when's the last time he wrote a he wrote a screenplay for a movie or TV show and it didn't turn out to be terrible? <laughs> Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> that's 
Complete joke. <laughs> I'm sure you'll touch on that much later. Yeah, you just made me think about it. I was like, oh boy. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? I think I think if you were gonna make an indefinite run TV show of a Brady Stanella's property, Rules of Attraction would be the right one because it starts yeah. in the middle of everything and it ends in the middle of everything <laughs> so it's like yeah. sure what what do those have to be the end points it could end anywhere or or nowhere holy shit it could be it could be like the cw sopranos yeah oh cut to black yeah yes put put mr cw or mrs cw put this book into production make the show get riverdale out of here bring rules attraction in yes there's only room for one <laughs> it's gonna be this one. <laughs> um, well, have we have we covered it? Is there anything else you um, wanted to talk about? No, I think that was everything. Um, I, I'm I'm I stopped myself to say if I should ever recommend this movie to people because I don't know if I should, and <laughs> the only way people. I think we'll ever watch this movie is if pretty much I make them. So <laughs> if you want to see some, a weird relic of the early aughts, I would say go check out this movie. All right. So, uh, so I always, uh, have my guests rate it on a scale of one to five, some things, uh, rather than stars, something derived from the film. So, uh, what would you rate this and what's your, what's your scale? So I'd probably rate this, and I'm saying this as someone who really enjoys this movie and also understands a lot of its issues. Um, I'd probably say, you know, out of five, uh, three uh, purple sparkly letters. <laughs> Very nice. Um, I feel like this movie has a couple of really good performances. I think James Vanderbeek is incredible in it. Um, I think um, Ian Summerholder, I have no objections to his performance and he's the most perfect looking human being who's ever lived. So that right, is a yeah. net positive. Um, yeah. And, and yeah, like the little, um, little, little small appearances by like Dick. Uh, Dick is really great. There's, there's good, some, the, I think the actors are the best thing the movie has going for it. Yeah. Um, I feel like um, it wanted to, it wanted to make a statement that was sort of in line with the statement the book was making, but it also wanted to be its own creature and kind of go out in its own direction and make its own slightly different statement, which I respect, but I think that it got garbled and it's not really clear. <laughs> um, and I think like without having read the book, I think like it's not even clear what's happening, like on a literal level, <laughs> um, like, like what I brought up the, like, why does he think the letters are from Lauren thing or like all, all of that. Um, yeah. There, there's just kind of like, I just feel adrift when I'm watching this movie. And then there's also, there's also moments of like true, Real. like true squeamishness. There's yeah. like some great, there's some great stuff, but then there's moments where I'm really like, Oh, really icked out. Um, yeah. Like the, like, scene and the gangbang scene for example um <laughs> uh so i'm uh, i i think this movie is okay um and uh i i don't 
I don't hate it as much as I could, but I do hate it some. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so I'm going to give it two TAs that my wife left me for. <laughs> Out of five. <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we didn't even talk about that. We didn't. <laughs> the professor uh, just great. wrote, my wife left me for my TA. All classes from me are canceled on the chalkboard. <laughs> <laughs> Which, again, I always expected to happen in college. Never did. That teacher <laughs> showed up anyway. Disappointing. Very disappointing. All right. Well, we've done it. We've said all there is to say about the Rules of Attraction 2002 film. Uh, no one ever needs to talk about it again because we've done it. This <laughs> is <laughs> the definitive discussion of it. Um, <laughs> and so now um, I would like to give my listeners a chance to balance out their media diet with something that is not uh, Brad Easton Ellis' work. Um, I always recommend a book that is not by a cis white man. Uh, my guest is welcome to recommend whatever they would like. Um, David, do you know what you'd like to recommend? Oh, I go first? If you want. I can go first if you need a second to think. No, I, I don't mind going first. Um, yeah, if you don't mind me recommending anything. Um, I would like to I recommend a comic book. Please do. Wonderful. So there is a wonderful, beautiful, amazing, brilliant comic called uh, Saga. It is by mm. Brian K. Vaughn and Fiona Staples. Uh, created a few years ago. It's on a little hiatus right now. I think it's like, like issue 50. So you can pick up like the first six or seven volumes of it. Beautiful story. Um, the, the most basic concepts, uh, the most basic way I could say this, the concept is like, Romeo and Juliet meets adult Star Wars, but it's so much more than that. It's the art is beautiful. It's a story about freaking love on all spectrums and all angles, all corners. And oh my God, it's like, I can't even talk about this book enough. It's, it's got everything for everyone. There's laser fights and spaceship brain monsters. And then there's a very touching story with, you know, these two reporters who just two dudes who love each other and then there's the main storyline oh my god it's i love this comic book so much please check it out right i recently bought the first volume of saga oh, i'm excited to read it you'll uh, i think you'll like it a lot well um well i guess i'll i'll recommend something that's sort of along a similar line kind of in that it's a comic um i'm oh, cool. gonna recommend uh, well it's manga that's that's a subcategory of comics that's right so cool as far as i'm concerned Outstanding. um i'm gonna recommend chobits by clamp which is an all an all lady uh manga writing team from japan oh, okay. um and chobits is a. It's a kind of like love story slash mystery about um, a young man who finds a, an abandoned sex robot in an alley and he, turn, he turns her on and she doesn't have any memory of, of where she was before, where she came from, but she's like pretty clearly sentient right, right off the bat. Um, and they start to fall in love but her. Um, and it sounds so goofy, um, but it, I really think it works in the story. Her reset button is in her vagina. So if oh, they have sex, cool. she'll reset and she'll forget everything again. <laughs> um, but it's it's got like a, a real combination of like 
tones and moods that I feel like you can only really pull off in a manga. Like it's yeah. it's really cute, but also like pretty sleazy, but like pretty romantic. And the art is really beautiful. The the main robot, she has just like the best outfits all these frilly gowns and little dresses and oh, it looks great. Um, and it's, <laughs> it's, um, yeah, it's like a comedy, but it also, yeah, has a very mysterious side and kind of gets creepy uh, the further you go into it. Uh, it's, it's really good. Um, and oh boy, those outfits, they're just great. <laughs> so is it, I is it like, joke. they're all like, mm -hmm. uh, like the outfits are like skimpy, I suppose, or Not she has a couple skimpy outfits, but mostly she just wears she she wears these like dresses with like huge full skirts, like ball gowns or or like floor length wow. dresses. She just has like a great wardrobe. Um, She's always looking good. Yeah, always looking good. So occasionally they're skimpy, but for the most part, they're like she could wear them to like the Oscars. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's my recommendation. Uh, Dave, where can people find you? So. You can find me uh, on another podcast called In the Mix. I host it with my good buddy, uh, Steve Ferriello. And um, are you going to put links at the, on this? Because I don't know the, the link off the top of my head. <laughs> uh, uh, I don't usually put links, but I can we learn how. We don't got it. It's fine. <laughs> it's called In the Mix. Search In the Mix with Steve and Dave on Google. You will find it. If you just search In the Mix, you will find. You will not find us. You will find different things that are not us. <laughs> Common expression. Common expression. Everyone says it. <laughs> um, and I am also on Twitter. I am at Comrade Voyager. I have had it for two years. I still don't understand how to use it, but I like a lot of funny stuff on there. So if you like, a, if you like someone to act as a aggregator of funny stuff uh, check me out <laughs> great uh you can follow me on twitter at katie l Wright. you can follow the podcast at brett easton pod uh you can check out other amazing shows here on the major casts network and uh, if you're interested in supporting the network and our uh, occasional costs uh we do have a uh, uh oh i want to call it a kickstarter but that's the wrong word <laughs> <laughs> we have a Patreon. Uh, you, can, <laughs> you can search for uh, Major Casts Network on Patreon if, if you want to kick in a little something. Uh, thank you so much for being here, Dave. Thanks for having me, Katie.